I want to uh, pose a question today, and it'll come up on the screen. Well, I've, I've framed it as a question anyway, but the title of my message today is I Love You with a Question Mark. Uh, in fact, two question marks. Uh, just got carried away. I love you with a question mark. Uh, I, I want to actually uh, kind of unpack this, and we, we heard it a little bit around the, the kids' message, the nature of love and the source of love. But I, I, I wonder if the words, I love you, are enough. Most people are familiar with the fact that God is love, that God is a God of love. Most people have heard Jesus loves you, God loves you. And we accept that. Uh, as being the nature of God. We accept that as being kind of foundational to the Christian narrative. And even those who don't believe in God kind of understand the concept of a loving God. But I wonder if it is enough. I uh, remember a number of years ago, we were doing some outreaches in the Philippines uh, on the island of Mindoro, and uh, we're there for about two weeks visiting the major towns on that island. Uh, and uh, most of these events were in uh, kind of town squares, so outdoor venues. So we had to hire a big PA system. And a young guy called John, uh, we hired him and he came and he was just the nicest guy. Set up his PA system uh, every night, pulled it down again. Uh, just loved being a part of what we were doing. And uh, he, he just was the nicest, nicest young guy. And uh, I think it was like the second last night of two weeks of outreach. And we were just sitting with the local team. And I just asked one of the young the, the local pastors about this young guy, John. I said, oh, tell me about John. He, he seems like a nice kid. And the pastor started shaking his head. And he said, oh, uh, John is in a lot of trouble. And I said, oh, how's that? And he said, um, he's actually on bail awaiting sentencing for the shooting murder of his stepbrother. And I'm thinking, thanks for telling us now. <laughs> and there was such a disconnect. I kind of couldn't believe the story that this guy was telling me. Uh, but it was true. But then also the deep conviction in my heart that, man, I, I really got to nail this young guy and, and just really help him understand the depth of God's love for him. The following night was the last night of the crusade. And interestingly, this young guy had been hearing this message night in, night out for two weeks. And at the conclusion of the night, Jim was there doing what he always did, which was rolling up his leads and pulling down his speakers. And I called him over and I said, John, come to me. And he came over and said, yes, sir. And I said, John, do you know that God loves you? And he said, yes, sir, I do. And he turned away and walked back and started rolling up his leads again. And I called him back again and I said, John, you need to understand that God loves you. That Jesus died for your sin, for your failure, for your past, for your mistakes, for all that you're facing in your life right now. Jesus died for you. That is how much God loves you. That you don't have to carry the weight and the guilt of your sin. That Jesus went to the cross so that you might know the depth of his love and his forgiveness. And I can't remember if this is exactly how I phrased it. But I just wanted him to understand this personal element of God's love 
for him. And obviously something started to, to find its mark because his eyes began filling with tears. And I said, Jun, can I pray for you? And I said, yes, sir, please do. And just closed my eyes and I just led this young guy in a very, very simple prayer of surrender to God. Helping him understand that no matter what he's done, no matter the penalty, he, the penalty he will face for his crime, it does not exclude him from a relationship with God, that God loves him that much. And anyway, the prayer finished and I opened my eyes and I just saw it, this young guy just grinning from ear to ear. And I said, John, do you know the love of Jesus? And he said, yes, sir, I do. And it was amazing. And obviously he went on and he had to face the punishment for his crime. But I know that there was a change that took place in his heart. But I asked the question, is I love you enough? Just before COVID, I was invited out to uh, Western Queensland to a little town called Mergen. And a church there was celebrating its 50th anniversary, 50 years of ministry in a really small community. And it was a real privilege to be a part of that. And there was lots of invited guests and previous you know, pastors that had served there previously all came along. And uh, it went from Saturday from lunchtime through to the afternoon and then again the following Sunday morning. It was just a, a time of great celebration. But after everything had finished on the Saturday afternoon, I went back to my motel room in the neighbouring town called Wandai. And it's not too much to do in Wandai on a Saturday afternoon. So I was sitting in my motel room and I'm mindlessly scrolling through the, I think there was three TV stations, uh, scrolling through. Anyway, um, came across the last half of the movie Avatar, the original Avatar movie. And so I thought, oh, well, I'll watch this. And I actually enjoyed it when it was at the cinemas anyway. But as I was watching this film, I started to notice something that I hadn't before. Now, it's, a, it's an interesting movie because there's some subtle and not so subtle narratives that run underneath the story. There's racial narratives and uh, political narratives and environmental narratives. But essentially, the story Avatar is a love story. But what struck me as I watched this again was that in this love story, the words, I love you, uh, are not actually in the script. And right through the story, in place of the words, I love you, the characters say to each other, I see you. Now, well, that's really, really interesting. And so I started Googling my motel room in Wandai, and I found out some really interesting stuff about this I see you and the movie Avatar. In fact, it's the whole theme of the movie. The, uh, the theme music that plays under most of the score is actually called I see you. And in Avatar, everything on the planet Pandora, where it's set, is totally interconnected. And the characters' lives only make sense as they understand their connectedness to one another and their connectedness to nature. So I see you in place of I love you is because my life only makes sense when my life is seen by others and when I am connected to others. And actually, the movie Avatar revealed a, a, a lesson in Scripture that I hadn't noticed before in this particular context. And here it is. 
God has placed in the human heart a need to be loved. No question. But God has also put into the human heart a need to be seen. It's in our DNA, this need to be seen. And I wonder if that's not why a small child, whenever they're doing something for the first time, if it's climbing a tree, sliding a slippery dip, jumping on a trampoline, riding a bike, they always go, Mommy, watch me, or Daddy, watch me. They need to be noticed. There's a need to be recognised, a need to be seen. And the truth is, mums are really, really good at doing that. Mums are really, really good at the I see you. Uh, Dads are really, really good at I love you. And we have various ways in which we express our love for our kids. Uh, But mums are really, really good at I see you. They notice the small stuff. And I came across this quote, and I think there's some truth in it. It goes like this. A woman knows all about her children. She knows about dentist appointments and romances, best friends and favorite foods and secret fears and hopes and dreams. A man is vaguely aware of some short people living in the house. (laughs) And again, dads are good at I love you. Mums are really, really good at I see you. Now, my intent this morning is to not, it is not to bring you a, uh, a message from the movie Avatar. I want to bring a message from God's Word. But perhaps uh, this is where the uh, writers of Avatar borrowed it from because we find it in the Old Testament, but it's actually woven right through Scripture. But we see it in the story of a mother called Hagar. And we read from Genesis 16 and 1, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, But she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, excuse me, took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my servant into your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Well, your servant is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai ill-treated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. And the angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. Then verse 13 tells us, She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. Now, a little background to this story. Abram and Sarai, before they are renamed Abraham and Sarah, God had met with Abraham sometime earlier. He had promised that he would give to Sarah and him a son. From that son would come a nation and that nation would bless the world. Now, the problem was Abraham was an old guy and Sarah was a barren woman. 
It says of Abraham twice as he is good as dead. And it says of Sarah that she was worn out. So it's interesting. God made a promise, but after 10 years, there was still no child. So Sarah hatches a plan and says, well, hang on, Abraham. Why don't you have this child that God has promised through Hagar? Abraham thought it was a good idea. And so Hagar conceives Abraham's baby. Now, I want to focus on Hagar because here is this Egyptian girl living in slavery, living in a foreign place. And it seems she just becomes a means to an end for a couple who can't have kids. And it's really interesting, and maybe I'm overthinking it, interesting in the text that Sarah and Abraham in this text don't even mention her by name. She's not Hagar, she's just the slave girl or the servant girl. Hagar falls pregnant. Could you try again? No, I can't. <laughs> she falls pregnant. I'm sure I understand. <laughs> Isn't it great when you watch make comments on your message? I'm not sure I understand. <laughs> so she falls pregnant according to the plan that Sarah had hatched. Go away, nobody. Gee whiz. And here she is in the desert, having run away from her mistress. She is pregnant on her own feeling lonely, feeling unneeded, feeling like an absolute nobody. She doesn't feel recognized. She certainly doesn't feel seen. And then God wonderfully shows up. And in this encounter with God, everything flips and, and suddenly she finds herself feeling valued. Suddenly she finds herself feeling recognized. She feels seen. And she gives God a name, El Roy, which means, as we've seen in the text, the God who sees me. I see you. Because Hagar, who up until this point in time had felt totally insignificant, encounters God and discovers, hang on a minute, I'm not insignificant at all. And isn't that what God does? So good. And it's really interesting that this conversation that Hagar has with God, it's actually one of the longest recorded conversations that a person has with God in the Old Testament. And get this, Hagar, the Egyptian slave girl, not even called by name by her masters, is the only person in the Bible who gives God a name. That's really cool. Because up until that point, God had been known by many names, names that he had given to his people, names that speak of his character and his nature. 
And they are big names, they're grand names, they're important names, they're bold names, they carry power, they carry authority. He introduces himself to the children as Israel, as Elohim. This is the, 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 the creator God. This is the awesome God, the, 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 the one who causes or sets the stars in place and the one who causes the sun to rise. This is an awesome, awesome God. Or Yahweh, the, the covenant God. Or El Shaddai, the almighty God. They're all really big names. But Hagar needed something more personal. Something, the, something that expressed the kind of intimacy that she discovered when she encountered God by herself, by a spring in the desert. El Roy, the God who sees me. And I don't know who you are this morning, but you need to know, not only does God love you but God sees you the psalmist puts it like this in Psalm 139 and 13 he says for you created my inmost being you knit me together in my mother's womb I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made your works are wonderful I know that full well my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And friends, we worship a God who knows us. We worship a God who loves us. And wonderfully, we worship a God who sees us. We worship El Roy, the God who sees me. And it's so important that we get a hold of that because that shifts our perspective on so much. For the first 15 years of our ministry, um, we travelled the country and other countries as well, partnering with a lot of youth organisations. And, uh, and high school and college evangelism was the, the focus of our work for 15 years. And... Uh, Day after day after day after week after week after month after month after year after year, we were just going to schools day in, day out, colleges day in, day out. Share some music, but really, really importantly, share what I call my journey of faith. And this is back in a day where we could go in and openly share the gospel in high schools and give out Bibles. And uh, it was certainly an exciting open door of opportunity back then. And the things we did back then, you wouldn't have a hope of doing today. Uh, but God is still working. We, uh, I think it was the mid-90s, were in the Sunraysia district, uh, southern New South Wales, and then over the border into Victoria, we were in Mildura. We had two weeks in Mildura, and I think in that time we visited every school in Mildura. And it was a, a great time of ministry. And uh, after that two weeks, we headed back to Brisbane, where we were living at the time. And it was probably ten days or so later actually got a letter in the mail. Who remembers receiving handwritten letters in the mail? That's a blast from the past. But it was a letter from a, a young teenage girl who had been at one of the schools that we had visited in Mildura. Didn't know who she was. But she obviously felt that 
this was a safe place to reach out to. And so in this letter, she just talked about her life, but sadly talked about the horrendous abuse that she'd been a victim of for so many years, right through her childhood at the hands of a member of her own family. And she went, went on to talk about just the methods of escape that she used, including a lot of drug abuse and things like that and suicidal ideation. And it's just such a tragic, tragic letter. I uh, immediately contacted one of the organisations that we'd partnered with in Mildura, uh, passed on her details and made sure the connection would happen. And I, I was told that it would. But after receiving that letter, it just absolutely broke my heart. And prompted by that letter, I then wrote a song that really became, for the next decade, kind of the song uh, that we would kind of anchor off or pivot off for the messages that we would share in high schools. And it was all about what voices are you listening to in your life? Because the voices that we listen to and the lies that we sometimes believe can shape our lives sometimes in a really, really negative way. And we'd talk a lot about identity and how identity is shaped and formed. But again, this song was the song that kind of punctuated that. It was the early 2000s we were invited into uh, schools around the Clare Valley District uh, in wine country in South Australia. And uh, we had a really, really full itinerary. And it was towards the end of the week. Uh, got a phone call from the chaplain of the Snowtown High School. Uh, Snowtown is memorable for all the wrong reasons. Uh, and they said, w would you be able to uh, uh, make some time to come and visit Snowtown? And I said, um, we've got a really full itinerary. In fact, the only opportunity we have is the last two periods of the very next day. And they said, done. Uh, so we had two periods at Snowtown High School with the senior students. And it was a really, really significant time. And uh, as we often did, uh, talked about identity, what forms, what shapes identity, uh, and then punctuated that message with the song. At the end, we're uh, getting ready to leave. And I, I just asked the chaplain, I said, uh, how did you know about us? And she said, oh, look, I heard, I heard you guys were in the area and I just wanted to get you in to the school. And I said, no, no, but how were you aware of our ministry? And she said, oh, you wouldn't remember this, but years ago uh, you came to Mildura and you visited my high school and this was the girl who had written that letter, now working as a chaplain and her heart is to work with young, vulnerable women who are facing all the things that she went through. And I, I, it was just such a moment. And I said, not only do I remember you, not only do I remember your letter, but that song that I just sang, I was inspired by the letter that you wrote to me. And in that moment, we had a moment. <laughs> uh, and oh my goodness, it was just one of those God appointments. And I, to see this girl or young woman now so confident to see how God wonderfully redeems. And 
here's another lesson for us. You know, when we come to Jesus, God does, doesn't just remove the stain of our past so that it's gone and forgotten. He does something far more remarkable. He redeems it to be something good. And because of the suffering of her past, but because she now sees the one who sees her, encountered God in that way, a life-transforming way, God has bought the most beautiful thing out of the most deepest pain. And it's one of those remarkable stories that I'll certainly never forget. One of the moments that I think, praise God, to see a life transformed in that way and to see her life's mission birthed out of pain. Incredible. God is an amazing God. He can redeem the deepest hurt and the deepest pain. God loves you and God sees you. And you all want to hear the song, don't you? So I've asked Ben if I could borrow his guitar because I've got to play it on guitar. So excuse me while I prepare. And thank you, Ben, for the guitar. He what I didn't tell him is that I do a really cool thing at the end of the song where I smash the guitar on stage. But uh... <laughs> pretty young Looking in the mirror And the face that looks right back at you You say you don't like it all Cause the world that took your innocence away And the image that you see is fading every day A pretty young thing Looking in the mirror And the tears roll down your cheeks Just like they did Yesterday And you cry out for someone to really love you And the image that you see Is wishing it that way
back the hope of everything you've been dreaming of. I died for you. Died for you. Thank you, Sam. I won't smash it on the stage. <laughs> hey, let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you, God, for your goodness. And yes, Lord, we thank you for your love. Lord, a love that can reach out to a murderer and say you're free, you're forgiven. The stain of your guilt does not separate you from God. Thank you for that hope. Thank you for the promise, God, that not only are we loved, but we're also seen. Elroy, the God who sees me. That we matter, God, that just brings such worth and value to, you know, what we often look at and think really insignificant lives. But, Father, the reality is you died for us. You see us. You have a purpose for us we are fearfully and wonderfully made and father i thank you that in this life even though we can go through pains and struggles and trials and hardships and at times find ourselves the victim of the worst kind That, Lord, you haven't forgotten us. That your love reaches out to us in our pain and our suffering. 
in our questioning and that you wonderfully redeem. That the deepest scars can be made to be something, Lord, that you use. Not just forgotten, but redeemed, their purpose transformed. That our scars can be the method of somebody else's healing. And maybe for some of us this morning, we're going to hand stuff over to you so that you might redeem it. Because some of us carry scars that become excuses. Father, we just want to thank you for your goodness, for your faithfulness, for your love, for that value that you place on us, and for the ways in which you continually redeem every element of our lives we choose to live our lives fully for your glory use us lord we're all marred vessels but we pray that you would use us to see your kingdom come to see your family grow begins in us and all that you choose to do in and through us and we thank you for this time together for one another. And we leave declaring your faithfulness in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you, Matt.